Uh, thank the Lord for the young man that got saved this morning and the uh, extra effort. And you know, um, sometimes, I know we're not supposed to look when the preacher says every head bowed, every eye closed, but sometimes curiosity gets the best of us, doesn't it? And I'm glad somebody saw that there was a young man that wanted to know the Lord. I'm thinking about a time in Tremont when uh, we were still in the old building. Our church was having revival and Brother Jack Thompson was preaching for us, and Brother Thompson, uh, his message went something like this, I'm preaching tonight on why you should be in the revival every night, and so number one, if you love the Lord, you'll be here every night. Number two, if you love your preacher, you'll be here every night. Number three, if you love your spouse, you'll be here every night. Number four, if you love your children, you'll be here every night. Number five, if you love your dogs and cats, and I don't know if he said that, but it just seemed like he wasn't leaving any stone unturned, and then he said, uh, you need to be here every night. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Now, how many of you are going to be here every night of the revival? Well, there was a family in the church there. They owned a restaurant in town, and I knew that they had their restaurant open every night. So there's no way they were going to be at the revival every night. So I had to peek. You'll forgive me. I was only 17 at the time. I would have still done it tonight. But anyway, I had to peek. And so, sure enough, the dad lifted his hand, and when his hand went up, his wife's hand went up, and when her hand went up, all the children's hand went up. And so I said, wow, I, I got to go to their house tonight after church for fellowship, because this is going to be an interesting conversation. And so we got there, and of course, just kind of talking, their son was a friend of mine, and so I, I said, wasn't that a message tonight? Man, I'll tell you, uh, Brother Thompson put it on us. If we weren't going to be there every night, you know, we didn't love our the Lord and our pastor and our dogs and our cats and our wives and our children anyway. And, and uh, they said, yeah. And I said, Brother Lloyd, forgive me, but I was looking and I noticed you raised your hand. And I uh, said, man, that caught my curiosity. And, uh, and then I said, and then to his wife, Jeannie, you raised your hand. And she said, well, I saw his hand go up and I thought if he's going to be there every night, I'm going to be there every night. And the kids were like, yeah, we're going to be there every night. And so I said, what about the restaurant? And uh, he said, well, I raised my hand. I didn't raise her hand. And uh, so anyway, we sat and talked for a few minutes. And the next night, they had rented a lighted sign, put it in front of their restaurant, said, we'll be closing each evening at 6.30 due to the revival at Calvary Baptist Church, 519 South Sampson Street. Come join us for the meeting. And you know, when you're in Tremont, especially back then, there weren't very many choices. It was the dog and suds or the truck stop. And so they had the dog and suds and it was shut down. And people visited that week just because their curiosity got the best of them. And I'll tell you, uh, that stuck in my heart for a long time. You never know what God does in the hearts of people through a message and even through an invitation. But we're so thankful that the Lord worked again this morning. And what a joy to be back tonight. Um, I, I really appreciate the harvest time this afternoon that went on. Uh, boy, I was so tempted. I can't have candy at least that's what my doctor says, and uh, my wife, uh, you know, she's not supposed to have it either, but anyway, one of us is a cheater, but not me, but anyway, just kidding, <laughs> not often, she, she does fine unless somebody tempts her with peanut M&Ms, but anyway, and uh, the children were playing the games, and you know, I, I don't know about you, there's just something inside of me that still wants to participate, but I refrained and let the children have have access to it, but I know you're tired, those that labored this afternoon, and and, uh, and I agree with the preacher. I can't imagine what it was like uh, when the children got home. I don't know if, you know, some parents will say, well, you got to spread it out over some days. And then <laughs> some of them have already eaten it before they've gotten home. And 
Must have made for an interesting afternoon. Take your Bibles, if you would, go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. And while you're turning there, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, let's uh, read just a couple of verses. We talked this morning about the subject of missions and its requirement for <clears throat> God gave the reason, rather for missions, the Savior's command, the sinner's condition, and the saint's constraint, and talked about our responsibility towards it. But as we continue on looking at the requirement for missions, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 said, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, I know there are many, many thoughts behind that verse. I know that there's much to be dealt with there, but I really love the way the Bible reads in that it says it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. The reason I love that is because uh, if God made other requirements that would be beyond me and beyond you, it might be challenging and difficult, but everyone can be faithful. That's a blessing. I mean, we can be faithful to the work of God. And uh, so when we think about missions and we think about our responsibilities concerning it and what's required of us, it begins really with the subject of stewardship. And, uh, you know, it's good for us to realize that uh, God is the owner of everything. You know, really everything that I have, He has given to me. David even referenced it when he was giving an offering, and he's thanking the Lord not only for the privilege of giving, but he's saying, really, Lord, we're just giving back what you put in our hands. And it's good to remember that because that'll keep us from getting self-centered and selfish and think, well, it's all about me. No, it's all about Him. Everything that I have is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let me just mention a few things quickly tonight. Number one, the principles of stewardship are explained here in that everything I have belongs to the Lord. Let me say this, my time belongs to the Lord. There's not a moment of my day when I lay aside my Christianity. Now, there's some days that require and some times that require different, you know, maybe aspects of it. I'm, I'm, for instance, when I'm preaching, I, that's a different aspect of my day. And that doesn't mean we can't relax, doesn't mean we can't have fun, doesn't mean we can't have hobbies, doesn't mean that we can't enjoy some things that God has allowed us to have. But I need to understand that all of my time belongs to God. And so therefore, there's not a time when I'm going to lay aside my Christianity and, and, and there's no such thing really as a secular life and a Christian life because I'm a Christian uh, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. I'm His child and there's no time when I can just say, well, it's my time and I'll do what I want. I, I know a pastor had a couple in his church that they went on vacation. While they were on vacation, they participated in some very wicked and ungodly behavior. I mean, they were uh, putting pictures on social media of drinking and partying and I mean wild things and we're talking about a couple that he taught a Sunday school class and well the pastor was just shocked and by the time they got back from vacation everybody was saying preacher do you see what these people have been doing and the preacher called them in to talk to him and, and here was their response well we were on vacation you know that's different he said no it's not different you're putting on the World Wide Web that you're drinking and carousing and all kinds of wicked stuff that I won't even mention tonight that no Christian should participate in. And their answer was continually to say, but we were on vacation. Can I tell you something? I'm for vacations. I think they're great to get away and come apart and rest a little while. Not at all against that. But I don't lay aside my Christianity for vacation. I don't lay aside any part of my life. My time belongs to the Lord. Let me say secondly, my talents belong to the Lord. 
whatever talents the Lord gives us. Uh, in uh, 1 Timothy 1.12, Paul said, I thank uh, Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me for that He counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. He said, I want you to know that whatever I have brought into the ministry, it's because God enabled me. In other words, whatever gifts or talents or abilities I have, and by the way, we're not to compare ourselves by ourselves. We're not to say, well, if I could preach like him or I could sing like her. We're to say, Lord, whatever you give me, allow me to use it for your honor and glory. And Lord, I want to take those things that you've given to me and, uh, and use them. Listen, if God calls you, uh, someone says, well, man, what if God called me to be, be a missionary? I would just die. If I had to go to a foreign country, can I tell you, if God calls you he'll enable you God will give you that which is necessary to do the work that he's called you to do and so my talents belong to the Lord I have no right uh, what little talents I have to try to use them for myself or use them for the world or use them for Satan I owe everything I have to the Lord Jesus Christ and so my talents belong to the Lord and this third one will make everybody shout my tithe belongs to the Lord you say, preacher, I don't believe in tithing. Well, I do, because it's biblical. Could I say this about tithing? Somebody said, well, that was the law. Did you know they were tithing before the law was given? In fact, as the Bible makes it very clear that what we have, uh, Leviticus 27, 30 said, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd and of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. So my tithe belongs to the Lord. I've had people say to me, I mean all across America, Brother Graham, I'd love to tithe, but I can't afford to. And I say to them, I love to tithe, and I can't afford not to. I want to live in God's economy. I want to live with God's blessing on my life. I want to live in such a way uh, that I know if I honor the Lord, He'll honor me. I can't always explain how it works, but I know this, that you cannot outgive the Lord. Now, I know tithing is where it begins. And listen, I don't mean to be unkind. You don't even have to pray about tithing. You just know that's what God expects of you. And uh, you'll learn to pray about what to give above the tithe. And everyone should pray and seek what God wants them to give above the tithe. But if you're not tithing, you're missing out on God's blessing and His economy of wanting to show you that you can trust Him. It's just all about ownership. You know, God could have said, give me 90% and you live on 10%. But He allowed us the tithe. Aren't you grateful for that? And uh, what a blessing it is to give to the Lord through the means of the tithe and the offering. And I think about how God blesses tithing and, and uh, how we have that opportunity. But it's not just my tithe that belongs to the Lord. My treasures belong to the Lord. Everything I have is His. And so, therefore, I shouldn't take the attitude, Lord, uh, you know, what's uh, yours I'll give to you, but what's mine I'll hang on to. But rather I'll have the attitude, Lord, you help me to do with the things that you've given to me. By the way, I've been in missions conferences and I'm not being critical where I've heard guys get up and preach, you know, that if you'll be uh, sacrificial and, you know, give up drinking coffee, God will bless you as you give to missions. You know what? Uh, I believe you can give to missions and God will still let you drink coffee. I believe you can give to missions and God will still let you drink a Diet Coke. 
or regular if you don't have to worry about sugar. I believe that God will allow you things. God's not trying to cheat you out of anything. Now, there is sacrifice that comes sometimes in giving, but when we try the Lord, it's amazing how that He shows Himself mighty. And I'm just telling you, for all of these years of my life, I've learned you cannot give the Lord. And I'm telling you, He is faithful. So there are principles of stewardship that we see that we must understand God is the owner and everything that I have belongs to Him. But big number two, Notice, not only is it essential that we recognize the principles of stewardship, but secondly, the power of God is essential. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, I love that passage of Scripture. And somewhere in that passage it says, uh, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. And when I was just a teenage preacher, one of the first sermons I ever preached was out of that verse of Scripture because really, it's not about us. It's got to be about Him. But I love verse number 7. It says this uh, in Second uh, Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. If you listen to the media, it would be impossible to start a church in the Los Angeles area with any success. If you listen to the media, uh, listen, things are really, uh, in their opinion, at least what they're trying to impress upon us, far beyond any possibility of things turning around. And you would agree that our world is in a mess today. But can I tell you something? God is still in the soul-saving work. God is still able to save lost sinners. God is still able to plant churches. God is still able to send missionaries around the world. Listen, dear friend, until Jesus comes again, there's a work to be done and uh, we can be involved in this great ministry. But let's not try to do it without the power of God. John 15, 3, Jesus, or 15, 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He said, He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. He said, For without me you can do nothing. Wasn't that a great truth? You know, if you ever try it on your own, you'll know how unsuccessful you'll be. But with his power and his might. And Jesus had said, uh, to that group of disciples, and you know the uh, Bible account when he met with them just before uh, he left, and then after he resurrected, and we mentioned it this morning, uh, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth, and then he said to them uh, that they shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon them. And by the way, these were men that at the beginning of the crucifixion uh, really uh, fled for fear of their life. These are men that probably thought, man, this didn't turn out the way we thought it was going to, but when they saw the risen Savior, all of a sudden their hearts and lives were so overwhelmed with joy and expectation. In just a little while, we're reading in Acts how that they're accused of turning the world upside down. I like to say they turned it right side up. But I'm telling you, these men boldly went forward in the power of God and began to see great things happen. Listen, God is still able to do today what He's always been able to do. But He wants us to depend upon Him. God uses our talents our abilities, our gifts, our personalities. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, God wants, and not only wants, but deserves all honor and glory and praise. And woe be to the person that thinks, well, God couldn't make it without me. No, it's the other way around. We couldn't make it without Him. So then we see, thirdly, the presence of faith that I want to examine for a few moments. Hebrews eleven six said, but without faith, it is difficult. Wait, no, that's not what it said. But without faith, it is challenging. No, that's not what it said. 
The Bible said, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So God is looking for faith. You know what's exciting? God will give me faith. Matter of fact, when you got saved, the Bible said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of worse, lest any man should boast. So we know God can give us faith to believe. I was witnessing to a man one time in Tremont years ago, and I went to their home, knocked on the door. They had visited our church and went in, sat down, talked to him, and shared the gospel with him and asked him if he'd like to be saved. He said, I really would love to be saved. But I just don't have that feeling. I said, excuse me? Well, my wife said that before you get saved, you get this feeling. And I don't have it yet. And I looked at his wife. I said, now where's that at in the Bible? She said, well, I don't know. I heard a preacher say that before you get saved. You get kind of this unique feeling. And I said, well, I can help you, sir. Come over here. Put your finger in this wall socket. I'll get you a feeling and then you can get saved. He said, well, I don't want to do that. So I kindly said to them, hey... Let's not talk about what you heard some preacher say, not even what this preacher says, but let's see what the Word of God says. And so we went back through the Scriptures, and sure enough, she agreed. It didn't say anything about you got to have a certain feeling. And, and so uh, in just a little while, I had the privilege of leading that man and his wife to Christ and saw them come and follow the Lord in baptism. And what a joy it was to see them get in church. And I said all that to say this. You know, it's so exciting when people realize it's not what we do that saves us. It's who we put our faith and trust in. And He'll even give you the faith to believe. Matter of fact, it's amazing what God can do when we're willing just to trust Him. But in the life of the believer, as a child of God without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So faith requires a confidence in the Word of God. Now I ask you tonight, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Well, I have absolute confidence that it is. And I have confidence in the Word of God. I trust what it says. I don't always uh, know the answer, but I've got a book that has the answer. And man, you know, sometimes we'll face things, challenges in life, uh, maybe face questions that people bring to us. But this book has the answer. The Word of God, dear friend, what a treasure we have in the Word of God. And we have to have a confidence in the Word of God. Psalms 118 and verse 8 said, It's better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. So I've got to trust the Word of God. By the way, His Word reveals His plan for missions. I mentioned it this morning. He told the New Testament church that they were to go into all the world and Preach the gospel to every creature. No doubt about it. That early nucleus that made up that first church, he said to them, here is your commission. Here's what you're to do. And uh, he revealed his plan for missions. He wanted them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I'm not being critical. The early church there as it began to grow in Jerusalem and man, how it grew and how exciting it was. And then persecution came and that sort of pushed them out. And it's like the Lord said, hey, I told you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I told you, yes, go to Jerusalem, but at the same time, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the world, and through persecution, they were certainly pushed out and began to go on. And all along the way, they were reaching souls for Christ and planting new churches. And what an exciting thing it was. If you want to read something exciting, the book of Acts is a book that's full of action and activity of uh, churches uh, springing up all over the place. And how exciting it must have been. And God used that because His Word revealed His plan for missions. But not only that, his word reminds us of the purpose for missions. What is it? Well, in the simplicity of it all, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody, everybody needs to hear about Jesus. 
Everybody needs the opportunity to hear the gospel preached in their ears. Everybody needs to have the opportunity to be exposed uh, to the opportunity to know the, that uh, there is a salvation given by the grace of God. They don't have to earn it. They don't have to work for it. God is willing to save them if they'll look to Christ and uh, receive Him in their heart and life. What a difference that makes. So we see faith requires a confidence in the Word of God. But let me say faith requires a commitment to the will of God. I've got to get in God's will and do it with all my heart, mind, and soul. The Bible said, Ephesians 5, 17, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Did you know God's not trying to hide His will from your life? Now let me tell you tonight, I know the will of God for your life. Say, Whoa, wait a minute, Brother Graham. Well, I know this, it's God's will that all men be saved. So if you're not saved tonight, that is the will of God for your life. So if you die without Christ, you're dying outside the will of God. He wants you to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the will of God begins at salvation. I know that God has laid some things down for all of us. I, I know that God wants all of us as believers, once we're saved, to follow the Lord in believers' baptism, not for salvation, but as a testimony to identify with our Lord and with His church. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that God wants us to grow as Christians by reading His Word and praying. I think we would all agree that's the will of God for our life. But there is the known will of God, and then there's the unknown will of God. You know, when I was a young man, I knew some things that were the will of God. I knew God had saved me and He had called me to preach and I knew God had a plan for my life. I didn't know all that it would entail. You know, when I was a teenage preacher, I was not ready to pastor a church. I was 15 years of age when the first church called and extended a call to me to be their pastor. My dad received the call. I wasn't home and he turned it down. Brother Reno, he didn't even ask me. He didn't even seek my thoughts or opinion or advice about it. So when I got home, he said, hey, there's a church they called. They were needing a pastor. And they went, I'd preached there once. And they said, we, you know, we'd like to talk to your son about being our pastor. And dad said, he, he's, not, he's not ready. And he's not interested. And uh, so I said to dad, I, you know, I agree with you. But, you know, it would been kind of nice if, you know, just to talk to me about it. And he said, well, son, it's over 40 miles from here to there. How would you get there? You can't even drive a car. You're not going to ride your bike 40 miles to go preach at a church on the weekends. And he said, you're not moving into the parsonage and living by yourself. And he said, I'm not driving you over there every weekend. He said, you keep doing what you're doing, and someday God may let you pastor a church. But he said, until you can consistently make your bed without being reminded, I don't think you're ready to pastor a church. He had a great way of keeping me humble. I thank God for my dad. But you know, God's will wasn't for me to pastor that church at that time. But I could do what God's will allowed me to do. And listen, folks, sometimes we want, we want everything at once in the will of God, and we're not willing to realize that sometimes God wants to take us through times of our life to grow us and mature us and to prepare us for that which He'd have us to do. But I'm telling you, the will of God is so exciting. T Titus 1.3 but hath in due times manifested His word through preaching, which is committed unto, uh, unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior. In other words, I'm to follow the will of God. There are things in the Bible that clearly are made known to me. There are some things at some point in your life may be the unknown will of God. I knew it was God's will someday for me to get married. But I had to wait till God showed me who I was to marry. And uh, I married my wife, and that's the will of God for my life. 
And can I tell you something? We need to realize uh, whatever God calls you to do, whatever ministry He has for you to do, whether He calls you to the mission field or laboring here in your local church, God has a plan and purpose for your life. You're not on planet earth just to take up space. God wants to use your life. He wants to use my life. His will is not complicated. I've been in churches where I've preached and somebody come forward and say, pray for me, I'm trying to find the will of God for my life. And I go back a year or two later, pray for me, I'm trying to find the will of God for my life. As if God is in heaven trying trying to keep them from getting to His will. That's not how He operates. Can I tell you, if we'll do the known will of God, He will always quickly reveal the unknown. But so often we're not willing to do what we know to do, and therefore God cannot show us that which we've not had revealed to us yet. So faith requires a commitment to the will of God. You know, faith is demanded of us. Romans 14, 23, the last part of that verse says, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 11. The Bible said this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It goes on to say, For by it the elders obtained a good report. The thing that made all of those people in uh, Hebrews 11 and many others so famous was their faith in God. And listen, if we could get anything in our lives tonight, have faith in God. That is so vitally important. Faith is demonstrated. In Hebrews 11, in every one of the lives that you read there, they demonstrate faith in God. You say, man, they must have been extraordinary people. No, they served an extraordinary God who takes ordinary people and does extraordinary things. God is able. When I was a young man in the church in Lincoln, when my dad pastored there, he was trying to introduce our people to faith promise, but also trying to introduce them just to, you know, learning to trust God. And so he gave a challenge one night in church and he said, I want to ask everybody to pray about giving a special gift. And I think it was for a missions project, I don't remember. But he said, I want you to take a week and ask the Lord to give you something unexplained, unexpected, just something out of the ordinary. And whatever it is, a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, bring it for that offering. Well, everybody came to the altar, it seemed like, that night. And boy, people said, you know, Lord, if you'll give me something unexplained, unusual, you know, uh, out of the ordinary, I'll give it to this special offering. And it was exciting that next week to hear some of the stories. And by the way, uh, giving to missions does not mean that you have to have some kind of a weird story. But I just think this was kind of neat. So they came and said, Lord, whatever you give me, I'll, I'll give it to you. And uh, one man said he pulled up at the grocery store to, uh, while his wife went in to get groceries. And he was sitting in the car waiting for her, as many men do patiently. But anyway, just kidding about the patience. But anyway, and so he said all of a sudden an elderly lady came out and and opened his car door and said, Sir, I need you to take me to my house. There's an emergency. And uh, he said, Well, ma'am, I'm waiting for my wife. She said, It'll just take a few minutes. He said, I drove her home. Sure enough, the ambulance was at her house. And he said, I dropped her off. He said, I drove back to the store and I happened to look over. And I, I don't remember if it was 5 or $10 she had left in the seat. And, and obviously to help him for gas. But uh, he said as soon as he picked it up, it, it reminded him. The Lord said something unusual, something unexpected, something unexplained. And he said, I'll, I'll give that in the offering. Well, several people had neat uh, stories like that. But my wife's uncle, who was a great man of God, I'm talking about a, a member of the church. He was our treasurer. He was a song leader in the church. But he came to the altar that night and he said, Lord, this is so easy. I never get anything unusual. I never get anything unexpected. I never get anything out of the ordinary. I'm a salaried employee. It doesn't matter if I work 40 hours or 80 hours. My paycheck is always the same. So he said, this is easy. 
he made that commitment later that week when he came back and gave his testimony. He said, uh, I got a letter and opened it, and it said, Dear Mr. Goad, a few years ago, you built your house, and we did your heat and air, and uh, we realized in our book work that we overcharged you several hundred dollars. And so we're enclosing a check to repay you for the money that we overcharged you. He said, I went, wow, that's great. And then I went, oh, unusual, <laughs> unexplained, unexpected. And Brother Goad got in on the faith giving that night. Now listen, I want you to understand, God's not out to make you live broke. God's not out to take everything you've got. But what God is wanting us to do is to allow His uh, principles of faith to work in our life. Faith uh, without uh, God's hand in it, dear friend, uh, is not the kind of faith the Bible talks about. Faith requires courage in the work of God. You know, I'm amazed, and your pastor I know has made many mission trips. And by the way, church, I, I want to encourage you and thank you for doing that because it's so vital. There's something about a pastor... And uh, if people can go from the church, it's wonderful. But somehow that connection of going to the mission field and seeing the work of the mission field and bringing back that vision, excitement. And, and as I told you, I made a number of trips through the years and have and continue to to different places and, and excited about that. But I know sometimes when I would go, people would say, Brother Graham, are you going to leave us and go to that country? And I'd say, no, I'm going to stay in the will of God. And so far it's right here. When he tells me different, I'll leave. Which way are you praying, by the way? So I'm just kidding. But uh, I I would say to them, hey, you know, uh, it's good sometimes for us to step out of our comfort zone. I can't tell you how many preacher friends that have said to me, I'd love to go to the mission field with you, Brother Graham, but I just couldn't ride on a plane that long. And I'm thinking, wow. How do you think they traveled in the days of the Apostle Paul? And you can't be inconvenienced for a few hours on an airplane? Okay, maybe 10 or 11 hours on an airplane. I don't mean this wrong. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's not easy. But can I tell you something? To reach a lost and dying soul, isn't it worth it? And then I've had them say, well, Brother Graham, I just don't. I couldn't handle the food. Man, I'm saying, what's wrong with people? That they feel, oh, I just couldn't handle the food. And they don't realize, man, whenever you go to the mission field, and I know there's some place you go, probably it's a little more scary. But I'll tell you, I haven't missed a meal. I haven't been uh, mistreated. I haven't gone to a foreign field and found myself uh, miserable because I'm trying to share the gospel with people. It's just the opposite. I leave there feeling so enriched and so honored and so blessed to be able to serve the Lord. And we realize, though, as we go, there's going to have to be some courage. And I'm not just talking about the courage to eat food that you've never eaten before. Or not just talking about the courage maybe to stay in places that aren't as comfortable as your home or, or, or the hotels here in America, but I'm talking about the willingness to go and uh, face whatever comes in the way to get us out of our comfort zone. When you're involved in missions, uh, there's some giants that we must face. Well, I think about uh, Brother PJ and them, how God used you all to be a blessing at such a time that he had need. I, I think about missionaries that are coming uh, to want to do a work for God, how they desire to have the support of churches like yours and mine and how essential that is. And listen, our missionaries face a lot of giants on their, uh, on their field. And you and I as believers, we face giants and understand that we've got to face them. But not only that, we've got to fight them. Listen, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. And I'm telling you, we must rise as God's people and stand for the faith once delivered and be courageous in the face of the enemy. Listen, they're trying to say all across this land that, uh, you know, 
know the, that the gospel is no longer necessary, then the devil doesn't mind you being religious, but he sure gets upset when you get really dedicated to the cause of Christ and you stand and preach that Jesus is the only way of salvation. That really upsets the devil. But I'm telling you, the truth does not change. We must stand with courage of conviction and preach to a lost and dying world. But thank God there are giants that are going to fall. As we fight the battle, we're going to see the victories that are won. 2 Corinthians 10.3 said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war uh, after the flesh. It goes on to say, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, when we are supporting missionaries, here's what's going to happen. Converts are going to be saved. You're going to see letters or you're going to hear from missionaries about people that got saved. Heaven's going to be an interesting and exciting place when we get to meet people that came to know Christ that we never saw with our physical eye. And you never know. I was preaching in India and uh, we were invited to come to a uh, cotton mill and we went there and viewed the, went through the mill and then went through all that they had there. And the president was very gracious to us and we sat down and shared the gospel with him. He wasn't interested, but very kind to us. He sent uh, his PR man and uh, also the vice president to take us to an area where a friend of mine wanted to go look at some uh, things. And so while we were on the way there, we began to share the gospel with them. Well, the uh, one man that worked for the company, the vice president, of course, was very interested in salvation. But the other man spoke up and said, I too am interested in being saved. Well, the thing about it is he was the pastor of the Methodist church in that town. And by the way, I believe there are people that are saved that are Methodists. But he said to us, I have always been taught that it's by works. I just thought, be the best you can be. And so, as a result, he gave his heart to Christ. After he got saved, he said, uh, uh, we dropped the, president, or the vice president back off at the company, and the, the Methodist pastor said, could you men come to my home? We said, well, we can, we'd love to. And he said, well, I, I need you to come because I've got to tell my wife and my mother that I've gotten saved. And he said, I don't know how they're going to take it. I'm the pastor of the church. So we went to their home, and of course, they brought out the coffee, and we had the customary greeting time and then as uh, his wife and mother came into the room there with us he said I have something to tell you and he said I have been in the ministry for many many years as you know I'm the pastor of our church but he said until today I never knew Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior but he said I got saved his wife began to weep and he said honey it's okay she said no I must tell you something she said the last time Brother Dan was here and they had the crusade. I went to the meetings and she said, I walked the aisle. I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. But I've been afraid to tell you. I was afraid you'd be upset. Here you are, the pastor, and I'm your wife. And I went forward realizing I'd never been saved. And they rejoiced. And what was exciting that night in the meeting as they walked the aisle and made public their profession of faith. I'm just simply saying, dear friend, listen, when folks get saved, it's worth every effort we make, all of the energy that goes into it. But not only will converts be saved, but churches will get started. All across this world, we need New Testament, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching Baptist churches. And then our co-laborers, the missionaries, will be sent to the field, whether it's here in America, whether it's in a foreign country. Faith promise allows us to give in such a way that we can see our missionaries fulfill that which God has given them to do. And listen, we can be a part of that. As I said this morning, it's a worldwide uh, ministry 
of reaching the, uh, the lost, but you and I get to be a part of that through our giving. And what an honor it is to be a part, but it requires faith. I believe God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, but we're going to have to ask him what he would have us to do. Father, we love you. Lord, help us to realize that in this great work of missions, the faith that is required to believe in you and your will and your word. Lord, I think about our missionaries we support and others that long to be on the field. God, I pray that you would direct in every way. Lord, may we realize the greatest need of every man, woman, boy, and girl is to know you. And then beyond that, Lord, to be discipled, Lord, to know what you'd have for them. And Lord, as we disciple them to see them reach others, Lord, and then for those to be discipled, and then for them to reach others and disciple. And Lord, you gave us a formula that would work to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. May we fulfill it, Lord, with faithfulness. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together for the invitation tonight. I don't know the need of your heart. I've preached to the church, but you might be here and you're lost. I'd invite you to come and somebody show you from the book what you need to do.